Take your Bible this morning and turn to page 873 or Matthew 18, and uh, we will begin right there. One of, the, one of the questions that pastors often hear uh, is, why can I not shake my depression? Uh, people report that their depression lingers, it persists, it casts a shadow on their relationships and the events in their lives. Pastor, why can't I shake my depression? Where can hope be found? And if you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've uh, sought to address those questions and answer those questions from God's Word. And we've learned that first of all, we have to establish a healthy foundation for joy. We said that depression is the absence of joy. Depression is the lack of joy. And so if we're going to overcome depression, we have to have joy in our lives. And we learned that there are really two things that establish that, that healthy foundation for joy. One is to know that hope is found in the Lord, that there's nowhere else we can find true comfort, true joy, true peace. Hope is found in the Lord. And the second thing we learned is that the fruit of joy grows in the life of a person who abides in Christ. Like a branch connected to a vine, the person who is connected and remains connected to Christ, who abides in Christ in that person's life, dis depression dispelling joy will grow. Now, now that we have established that foundation, and you can go back and listen to the messages if you were not here, but once we've established the foundation for joy, now we're seeking to talk about some of the agents of depression, some of the things that can bring depression in our lives. Now we have to start with the foundation, but it's important to know that the Bible identifies a few things, four in fact, four things that can definitely bring depression to our lives. This won't be true of every depression, and for some people, one of these will be more a factor than the other three, but these four things can bring depression, certainly can bring depression in our lives. And so each week, we're covering a different one. Last week, we talked about unconfessed sin. And we said the Bible clearly says that unconfessed sin can be, it is not always, but it can be one of the reasons that we experience depression. Today, we're going to talk about the most sinister of these four things. We're going to talk about the one that is sneakiest. We're going to talk about the most malevolent one. We're going to talk about the one that causes so much depression, and most people who suffer from this agent's depression have no idea, but the poison can be so deadly in a person's life. This, for some of us, will be the most important aspect of this entire series because whether we will admit it or not, the source of our depression, not of every depression, but for some people, the source of depression will be exactly what we'll focus on this morning. What is this sinister, malevolent agent that brings such poison and depression in our lives? And in one word, the answer is bitterness. Bitterness is a source of depression and every other kind of ailment uh, that, that Christians face. And so we'll, we'll focus on that this morning. I, I want to begin by telling you the story of Love Canal. 
Uh, have you ever heard that phrase? Are you old enough to know what that is, Love Canal? Uh, there is a community called Love Canal in the state of New York, just outside of the Niagara Falls area. Uh, in the 50s, it became a very uh, fast-growing community. And so they were looking for new places to build houses and to build elementary schools. And so they identified this area that they called the Love Canal, and they, they built a neighborhood there. They built an elementary school. Houses went up. It was a great place to live. It was a sought-after place in that community, in that city. It was, it was where everybody wanted to live. And so young families flocked to the Love Canal community. And everything seemed great for years until the early 70s when they noticed that people were beginning to get sick in just unusual numbers. Uh, there were birth defects. There were uh, mental, emotional uh, odd uh, effects that were happening. There, there, there were cancers. There, there was a high rate of mortality. And it wasn't just affecting older people. It was affecting people of all ages. And for years, they couldn't figure out why the people of the Love Canal were so sick. But finally, in the early 70s, they, they figured it out. Back in the 50s, there was a chemical company that buried... 21,000 tons of uh, chemical waste that came from the manufacture of uh, artificial resins uh, in some manufacturing plants that were near there. And they needed a place to bury this, th these chemicals. And so they chose that location. And they put the chemicals in 55-gallon drums, steel drums, sealed them up, dug deep down into the ground, and then they laid these drums, 21,000 tons of these drums, and then they covered them with clay and then with 25 feet of soil. And they thought that surely if we cover them up that well, steel drums, sealing clay, 25 feet of dirt, that nobody will ever suffer the effects of this poison so deep in the ground. But they were wrong. And now... Uh, the Love Canal is just a ghost town. Uh, they had to abandon all the property, all the houses, all the buildings. There's just a big fence around the whole area now, and nobody can go in. It's such a, such a dangerous place. And, and the lesson they learned is that just because something is buried so deep down into the earth doesn't mean it will not have serious effects. That, church, is, is such an accurate picture of what bitterness can do in someone's life. Now, let me give you a definition of bitterness. Bitterness is the condition that occurs when we are hurt or when we are angry about something and instead of dealing with our emotions in a godly manner, we just cover our anger over a period of time. We just cover it up and we never deal with it then that anger, that resentment, that hurt can turn to bitterness and can cause all kinds of problems. There is a love canal verse, I think, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. The Bible says, make sure that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. It talks about this poison deep down in our lives. Don't let this poison, don't let there be poison that will defile you and others because it's never really dealt with. So how does a person become bitter? 
So it, it ordinarily starts with a person being hurt. Maybe somebody will sin against you. Maybe somebody will lie to you or lie about you. Maybe someone will take something that belonged to you. Maybe you'll be mis mistreated at work or at school or in your family. Maybe it's a reputation thing. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe someone has cheated on you. Maybe somebody has abused you in some way, physically or emotionally or even sexually. And so there's pain as a result of, of what somebody has done to you. You hurt because somebody has hurt you. And so then you take that pain, physical, emotional, financial, uh, you take that pain and you don't know what to do with it. So you let time sort of soften the edges of that pain. You know what I mean? I mean, over time, the, the sharpness of the pain will go away. The pain doesn't go away. Just, just the edge of the pain goes away. And so you let time sort of rub off the edges of that pain and you just learn to live with it. It changes you, but you believe that I'm not bitter about the past because it's in the past. And you don't realize it, but you are now the love canal. You, you are now poisoned underneath the soil in such a way that's going to creep out in your life in later years and cause all sorts of problems. So the timeline for bitterness. Now, I just want to make sure we understand what bitterness is. It starts with an offense. Somebody's hurt you. And then it's the hurt, so somebody does something they shouldn't have done, and then you have been hurt, and then you're angry, and then you're resentful, and then you add a little bit of time to that, and all of that together equals bitterness. So why is bitterness such a bad thing? Let me, let me give you a few reasons why it's so bad before we look to see what Jesus says we must do. First of all, it is bad because it can ruin your life. Hooker chemical it's the name of the chemical company that dumped those 55-gallon drums. Uh, they believed that as long as they were covered up with enough dirt, that they would never hurt anyone, and they were wrong. And we can think that our hurt feelings and our resentment and our anger is not going to, those things are not going to impact our lives, but we will be wrong. Bitterness can ruin your life. Secondly, it's hard to self-diagnose. Now, bitterness can be seen in somebody else's life, but it's hard to see in your own life. I, I think oftentimes we're bitter and we don't know we're bitter. Most people can't see bitterness in their own life. And you'll see when we get into the scripture passage uh, exactly why this is. But bitterness is just so hard to see. Have you ever, have, have you ever hurt your hand or your finger? And uh, I, I remember one time I... I was working on some drywall and I, and I just cut off the very, very tip, the very last couple of millimeters of the skin on my finger. And, and it seemed like a small thing, but it, it hurt for like three months and I had to have a little band-aid on it or something. And, and so somebody would bump into me. Have you ever experienced this? Somebody would just brush against me and my reaction would be, whoa, be, be careful. He has hurt me. And, and so it really wasn't that they hurt me. It wasn't that they tried to knock me down. It was just that I was sensitive. My finger was so sensitive because of the injury that I overreacted to things. And that's what happens with somebody who is bitter. They don't realize that their problem is bitterness. They just think the people around them are just too coarse. They just think that the situations are too hard. They just think life is too stressful when the real truth is... It's bitterness. Bitterness can be hard to see 
in your own life. Uh, the third reason why it's so dangerous is because time will not heal. Time is, is the enemy of, of bitterness, not the friend of bitterness. You know, there are a lot of problems in life that if you just give it enough time, it'll go away. But bitterness is not one of those. Bitterness in, in many ways is like cancer. Uh, now there are many things that doctors can do to treat or even cure cancer. Uh, but the one thing they will not do is tell you, just give it some time. Well, just give it two or three years. It'll go away. Just give it some time. And, it, and all by itself, it'll, it'll take care of itself. No, cancer has to be addressed or it's going to get worse. And bitterness is something that if we just give it time, it's just going to fester in our lives until eventually it destroys us. The fourth reason why bitterness is so dangerous is because it leads to illness. It's interesting. The Bible talks about bitterness as a poison, a poison that causes Harm. Acts 8.23, he says, I see you are poisoned by bitterness. Bitterness will make you sick. Uh, we'll see this verse in context in a moment, but Matthew 18.34, Jesus says, because he was angry, and we're going to see in a moment it was a bitter anger, because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. Did you know that bitterness will bring torture to your body? Bitterness can lead to all kinds of physical ailments. I heard a doctor say one time, uh, every person who is sick is not necessarily bitter, but every person who is bitter will ultimately be very sick. Bitterness leads to illness. And then number five, bitterness hurts other people. Uh, bitterness is, uh, is a poison that doesn't just destroy you. But it's a poison that defiles the people around you. We, we read Hebrews 12, 15 a moment ago. It says, make sure that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble for you and defiling many people, defiling the people around you. If you're bitter, you're not just going to ruin your life. You're not just going to steal your joy. You're not just going to bring depression and stress into your life. You're going to spread it around. Bitterness is dangerous because it hurts other people. Well, let's see. Uh, what Jesus has to say. I think this is one of his most powerful parables, Matthew chapter 18. It's a long passage. I, I, we'll, we'll pause as we go through this. I know it's a lot to read, but I want you to see every word. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 says, then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times. Uh, Peter's being magnanimous. He says, Jesus, how many times if somebody continues to sin against me, if somebody hurts me, if somebody lies about me, if somebody takes something that belongs to me, how many times should I forgive them? And so Peter, he's, you know, he's, he knows that Jesus sort of goes to the extreme sometimes. And so he says, could it be as many as seven times I should forgive them? Seven times? He picks seven because surely it's not as many as seven. Surely I don't need to forgive them seven times. How many times? What do you think? How many times should you forgive somebody that hurts you? I mean, in a serious way, they hurt you. How many times should you forgive them? Peter said, could it be as many as seven? And listen to how Jesus responded, verse 22. I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, that, that doesn't mean 490 times, and you need to keep this on an app on your phone, you know, my bitterness app, and you need to just sort of check it every time. No, no, this means that your forgiveness shouldn't be limited. It should just be forever. How many times should you forgive them? Well, however many times they sin. Now, when, 
When Peter would have heard that and when the others would have heard that, that would have been shocking. That would have been almost irresponsible. How, what do you mean? I should forgive them no matter? I mean, you, you don't know, Jesus, what some people have done to some other people. You don't know how bad it can be. What do you mean we should forgive them every single time? It seems shocking. So Jesus explained the reasoning behind this. Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. And so here's a man who owes the king 10,000 talents. Now that is millions upon millions of dollars. This, this, this was a number that would have been unfathomable. This was a debt that could never have been paid. This wasn't a $10,000 debt or a $100,000 debt or a $10 million debt. This was, this was an absolutely unbelievable debt. He owed something that could never have been paid. Verse 25, since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, and his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. And so he couldn't pay it. And so the government said, you're going to prison. And everything is going to be lost. But look at verse 26. There's an interesting turn to the story. It says, at this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Now, what, what, what do you think the, the IRS would do with a, with a plea like that today? But he begged, I'll pay you everything. Now, this was a debt so large that even his promise to pay was, was uh, impossible, but he, he just throws himself on the mercy of the king, please. Verse 27, then the master, the king of that servant, had compassion, released him. Then notice what it says, and forgave him the loan. Isn't that amazing? Now, notice what he didn't do. He didn't put him on a repayment plan. He didn't readjust his interest rate. <laughs> he, he, he didn't say, well, I'll give you a little more time or I'll give you a second chance. He didn't say any of those things. He says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I, I, I'm going to mark it as paid. It is canceled. You don't know me anymore. In a sense, he just gave him millions upon millions of dollars. He just released him from a debt he could never have paid. Just fully released him. No strings attached. You're free. Isn't that amazing? Well, verse 28, the servant went out. Now, what would you have done? Let's just pause there. At this point, what would you have done? How would that have affected your attitude? But notice it says the servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, you should know that's not an insignificant amount of money. This isn't just a $5 bill. This is probably a few hundred dollars. Owed him a few hundred dollars. So it wasn't life or death kind of money, but it, it was a significant debt. He owed him a uh, hundred denarii. So he grabbed him and started choking him and said, pay what you owe. And so he goes out and he finds this guy that owes him a few hundred bucks and he's, and he's just shaking him. You better pay me right now. So notice what this man says. At this, his fellow servant, verse 29, fell down. See if this sounds familiar. And he began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Now, who had, who had just said that? Right? Verse 30, but he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. So he had no compassion on the man who owed him the few hundred dollars. Has the man thrown in prison 
uh, debtor's prison they would have had in those days until he could pay back what was owed. Verse 31, another twist in the story. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed, and they went and reported to their master, the king, everything that had happened. Guess what? The king always knows. Verse 32, then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Just because you asked, I forgave you. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgive his brother or sister from your heart. What an amazing parable. Now, you know who's who in the parable. The king is, is the Lord. The king is the Lord. He's God. And the first man who owed the millions of dollars of debt, that's you and I. That's us. We owe a debt we could never pay. And so we have gone, if you're a child of God, you have gone to the king and you've said, I cannot pay my debt. It is impossible. The debt of my sin, there's no way I can pay. And the king has forgiven us. He didn't put us on a payment plan. He didn't just give us some more time. He said, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. What an amazing thing. But it still remains that people have sinned against us, right? People owe us. People have done things to us. And so in this story, the saved person, the Christian, people like you and I, goes out and finds somebody who has sinned against him. And we in this story have, are holding that over their head and we're demanding that they pay for that. We're demanding that they do penance. We're refusing to forgive them. And so in this story, this is the part that's hard to believe. The king who represents God takes the, takes the Christian and puts him in a torture chamber until he can pay. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that frightening? Those are the words of Jesus. Let, let me show you three things uh, that this passage teaches us about forgiveness and overcoming bitterness. Uh, if you're going to get this poison out of you that causes such, such depression, there's three things you have to do. Number one, we need to understand the high cost of unforgiveness. People want to talk about how much it costs to forgive, how hard it is to forgive. Let's talk about how hard it is not to forgive. Now, let, let's ask some, so, some questions about the man in this parable. Does the man in this parable, who has been forgiven the millions of dollars, but has, refusing to, has refused to forgive the person that, has, that owes him a few hundred, is that person a saved person or a lost person? Do you know? Is he a saved person or a lost person? He's a saved person, right? He's been forgiven of this un, un, unpayable debt. He's us. He's us. He is a saved person. Now, what did his unforgiveness cost him? When he refused to forgive the guy of a few hundred bucks, what, is it, what did it cost him? Well, the Bible says very plainly that the king, God, put him in a torture chamber that he would stay in until he paid off the debt. How long is that going to last? Well, that's perpetual. He, he, he put him in a torture chamber for the rest of his life. He suffered. He was tortured for the rest of his life. You might say, would God really do that, Pastor? Well, just take a look around. I believe there are people all around us who are bitter and angry and mad. 
There are people who are depressed and discouraged. There are people sometimes who are out of control and, and they don't even recognize the connection between, between their attitude and, and, and between this unforgiveness that's in their life. But, but because of that unforgiveness, they're in this torture chamber that manifests itself in their life as just this, this, this terrible bitterness. I, like many of you, watched some of the uh, Kavanaugh hearings uh, this week and saw some of the protesters and, and, and one of the things, this is not, not really a political observation, but just a, a spiritual observation. I saw some of these people who were, who were so angry. Some of these uh, people who were shouting and screaming. And, and it just seemed like, like many of them were unreasonable. And, and, and I don't know their stories, of course. And, and, and I would probably differ with, with much of their politics. But, but, but here's, if I have any spiritual discernment at all, here's what I saw. I saw people who had probably been hurt in their lives, that may have been abused, that may have been mistreated, that may have gone through things I can't even imagine. And over the years, that hurt had turned into bitterness, and they're in a torture chamber, and now it's just rage. You understand how that, how that happens? We need to understand the high cost of unforgiveness. If we don't forgive people that hurt us, we will end up in the torture chamber. Look again at the very last verse of, of Matthew 18. So also my heavenly father will do this, this torture chamber to you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And, and much of the suffering that we experience is because of this torture chamber that, that we're in because we refuse to forgive. I, had a, I have a pastor friend in Florida that tells a story about uh, he lives in the Tampa, Florida area, ab about uh, driving down the freeway under an overpass. And there was a man up there, a nicely dressed man in the middle of the day. It was 100 degrees. And he's walking across this overpass holding a big sign. And I don't remember now the story, what, exactly what the sign said, but it was something I think about an appliance company. Some appliance company had, at least in his view, had done him wrong, had taking his money or giving him a lemon refrigerator or something. And, and so he, he's mad about it. And so he's got this sign that, that says disparaging things about the appliance company. And he is just marching back and forth. Matt, my friend says he went through in the morning and he saw this, this man out there marching back and forth, this sign. He went back later that afternoon, hours later, the guy was still out there angry, marching around with this sign. Well, what is that? That's a man in a torture chamber. Now you might say, well, pastor, you don't know. Maybe the appliance company did do him wrong. Maybe they did steal his money. Maybe they did treat him unfairly. Well, maybe they did. And if they did, he was hurt from that and that was an involuntary hurt. But now he has refused to forgive and, and he's marching around and he's even more hurt now. Now he's just angry. Now he's in a rage. Now he's given up a whole day. Now he's humiliated himself. Now he's in the hot sun. Now he's just probably ruined his week or his year. And the second torture was voluntary. You understand? If the appliance company did him wrong, then the, the, he couldn't have helped that perhaps. But, but this new torture, he has volunteered for this. I remember when I lived in Ohio, there was a, they built a new four-lane, large four-lane road uh, from uh, sort of a spur out of the city toward uh, the bedroom community where I lived. 
And consequently, they had to buy a bunch of houses, you know, and they had to tear down houses and take over property to build this, uh, build this big road. And there was one man, I don't know his story, but he, uh, apparently his house was not close enough to the new road for the Department of Transportation to purchase it, but it was close enough to the new road that he didn't like the new road. And so you know what this man did? He took spray paint. And I can't tell you exactly what he wrote on the side of his house because we're in church, right? So, but he took spray paint and he expressed his viewpoint for the Ohio Department of Transportation. And he wrote it in big letters. And it was there for years. We moved here. It was still there. It had been there for years. And, and not only uh, did he do it once, but there was a storm one time and some of his siding came off the house. And uh, so some of the lettering came off. He got more spray paint and he spray painted to fix the wording so that it wouldn't be confused. And he had just terrible things to say about Odai. Now, had he been done wrong by the Ohio Department of Transportation? I have no idea. He may very well have been done wrong. He, they may have mistreated him. They may have inconvenienced I don't know. They, they may very well. And if they did, that was an involuntary hurt. But what he did for years after that was self-inflicted. You see, we talk about the high cost of forgiveness, but do you understand that if we don't forgive, that's when we really pay. I had a, uh, had a couple in my, my very first church, one of the very first counseling experiences I can ever even remember as a senior pastor, they, a young couple, uh, Patty and uh, JJ, I think, uh, and, and they were pregnant. Uh, they, uh, they went for when they thought the baby was coming, the, the hospital was about an hour away. So they, they went to the hospital. We went to the hospital, my wife and I, or my girlfriend and I, I don't even know if we were married, but we went to the hospital with them. We hung out with them and she was just sure the baby was going to come. And the doctor said, no, it's not time. You need to go back. They were a little disappointed, but everybody's been through something like that, right? I think we, we went through that once. And so, so they went back home. Well, then a couple of days later, the baby stopped moving. They go back to the hospital and the baby has died. And the, the second doctor uh, told them, and I, uh, no commentary, no viewpoint for me on who did what wrong, but the second doctor, I was there when the second doctor told them uh, that the first doctor messed up and that the reason their baby was, uh, was dead was because the first doctor didn't do what he should have done. And so they went through all of the and all the things, we had the funeral. And, and so they, uh, they reached out to an attorney and they began um, a lawsuit. And the attorney told them that this was gonna be a pretty open and shut case, that uh, ultimately the doctor of the hospital would probably settle. They were gonna get a large, large sum of money. Uh, but they had to go through the process. And I, I'm not making a comment one way or the other about when you should sue and when you shouldn't sue. That's a whole, whole other sermon we'll get to one day. But during this year-long period where they're going through all this giving depositions and meeting with attorneys, their marriage just falls apart. It's just hanging on by a thread. And I remember they came in my office one day and, and they, they said, Pastor, we don't know what we're going to do. We just, we, we can't stand each other. We're just mad at each other all the time. We think we're just going to split up. And the Lord just, I'm not a very good counselor, but the Lord just sort of gave me some insight into their lives that I don't think they could see. But, but you could see, anybody could have seen from the outside looking in. The problem was that their whole list of arguments that they had had in the last six months of their married life, 
The problem is that they were so angry at this doctor that they thought had cost their child's life. And whether he did or not, I don't know. But their, their, their anger at him had just taken over. And I remember saying to JJ and Patty, listen, I, what you need to do is you need to call your attorney and call this whole thing off. And you need to get down on your knees and ask God to give you the strength to forgive that doctor if you think he has done you wrong. Because while they're gonna give you a bunch of money, what you're gonna lose is your joy and your marriage and your future. And you know what was interesting? They did forgive and they canceled that lawsuit and God restored their marriage, gave them more children. That was 25 years ago. They're doing great today. See, we focus on how much it hurts or how much it costs to forgive, but the real cost is to not forgive. So the first thing, understand the high cost of forgiveness. Secondly, we need to embrace the forgiveness that God has given to us. Now, let's look at this parable again. Uh, what happened first to, to this man? To, to, the first thing that happened is he had been forgiven millions and millions of dollars. And so on what basis should he have forgiven man number two? He should have forgiven the guy who owed him money because the king had forgiven such a great debt to him. Now that's easy for us to see because we look at them side by side. And, and right here in, in this verse, he's forgiven millions of dollars. Right here in the next verse, he refuses to forgive $500. And we can see that's ludicrous. That's crazy. Why won't he just forgive? Why won't he just remember that he had been forgiven such a great amount? Well, listen, the reason we can understand that clearly in this story, but it's hard in our story, is because we don't put our hurts next to the next to the sin that we've committed against God. Does that make sense? We separate the two. We say, well, I know God has forgiven me and God's forgiven me of, of all my sin and I wasn't worthy of that. But listen, pastor, it's a whole separate thing what my husband did to me. It's a whole separate thing what happened to me when I was a 14-year-old kid. It, it's a whole separate thing what my boss did to me or what the workplace did to me. And, and, and we can't put those together. But if we're gonna be able to forgive, that's exactly what we've gotta do. We've gotta see how people have sinned against us in the context of, of how God God has forgiven us. And if we can put those two things together, then we'll be able to have the strength to forgive. See, you don't forgive people because they deserve to be forgiven. You don't forgive people even because they've asked to be forgiven. Sometimes people will say, well, I'll forgive them when they come ask me to forgive. Well, no, you, you don't understand. You, you don't forgive them because they deserve it or because they ask for it. You forgive because you've been forgiven. That's why you forgive. And if you're struggling to forgive, it's, it's simply because you're struggling to recognize that you've been forgiven. Focus on the forgiveness you've received, and you'll be able to forgive those who sinned against you. Well, the third thing, we've got to understand the high cost of unforgiveness. We must embrace the forgiveness that God has given to us. But number three, we have to refuse to charge the penalty of sin to others. Let me tell you how to forgive. You, you understand that we've got to forgive, the high cost of unforgiveness. You understand how to forgive, why we should forgive, because God's forgiven us. But let me tell you how to do it, how to do it. It's important because so many people think something that's wrong. Somewhere along the way, people have gotten this notion that forgiveness is the same thing as forgetfulness. And that I, to forgive somebody means I forget what they've done. 
please get that out of your mind. That is not anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Nobody has ever taught you that. You've not heard that sermon. People, people tell me all the time, well, I can never forgive because I can never forget. Those, they're not connected at all. I don't know how to say it more emphatically. Those things are not the same. So let me tell you how to forgive. Yeah, you can't forget and neither can I. But let me tell you how to forgive. That's something that's different. To forgive somebody means that you do not charge the offense against them. So if we're in, a, we're in a restaurant tomorrow and we're eating lunch, my cell phone is on the table and you knock it off and it falls in the floor and the screen breaks. And then we just look at each other for a minute and you say, oh, I'm sorry that I just broke your, your phone. It's my fault. And I'm thinking, yes, it is your fault. And uh, you would hopefully then offer to pay for it. You'd say, well, let me, let me pay for a new screen for your phone. And then... Um, you know, I don't know if I'm this kind, but, but hopefully, you know, I'm the pastor. I, I should then say, listen, don't worry about it. I, I, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And you say, well, no, listen, I, I really, I, I broke your phone. I'll pay for it. And it's my fault. I'd say, no, listen, you're forgiven. And don't worry about it. I'll get it done. Okay, so now, what has happened? You messed up. You hurt me. You broke my cell phone. I have forgiven you. But my cell phone's still broken, Right? I mean, that doesn't change the fact that the cell phone is still broken. So if I've really forgiven you, what do I need to do? Then I need to pull out my wallet and go to the store and get the cell phone fixed. See, to forgive somebody means that you take the hurt and you don't charge it against them. And the next time I see you, I'm not supposed to think, well, where's the 200 bucks to fix my cell phone? When is he going to pay me for fixing my cell phone? No, I have paid for it and I no longer charge it against you. To forgive somebody means that you refuse to charge them for what they have done, what they have done to you. That's hard in the beginning. But if we'll continue to believe that God has forgiven us and on that basis we can forgive them and we don't charge it against them, then God will give us peace and grace. And the bitterness will go away. I remember, I, I, I have lived a blessed life. Very, very few times have I ever been hurt by somebody. Uh, but about 15, 16 years ago, 15, 14 years ago, uh, there was a man who did something, um, said something, hurt me, hurt me deeply. I struggled with it for about a year. I mean, I was, I was angry for about a year. Every time I thought about it, my blood pressure went up. I just was, was angry. Well, I didn't think I could do about it. I was furious. Um, but God convicted me that the poison from my anger was destroying me and it was destroying the people around me. And I recognized that though he's done something, he did something terrible, said something inexcusable. Because Christ has forgiven me, I need to forgive him. Now, since then, he's passed away. Uh, but his, uh, his wife's picture pops up on my Facebook page. You know how Facebook friends work, right? And, and so about every six months or so, I, I see her picture because it's her birthday or some of she comments on something. And I'm reminded of it. I, I, I don't ever think about it now except when I see his wife's picture pop up. And I've never had any ill will toward her nor she me, but, uh, but she's a reminder. But you know now... When I, when, when I see that, I, it's almost as if I hear Satan say, they owe you. 
But I'm able to say, no, they don't. Because I, years ago, grabbed hold of what God has done for me, and I've chosen not to hold that against them. They don't owe me anymore. That, friends, is what we need because that's the only hope to overcome bitterness in our lives. There was, uh, i just end with a story. Uh, it was, uh, read this recently about a woman in Kentucky. She, uh, this was years ago, this was after the Civil War. And Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general, after the war was passing through um, her area of Kentucky and she had requested that that the general and his entourage, that they stopped by her home. And so he did. And when he arrived, she just shared with him how bitter and angry she was for what the Union Army had done to her over the last several years during the war. She explained that because of the Union Army, she had lost her sons, two sons. They'd both been killed in the, in the prime of life, and they were gone. And she was furious about it. She explained how her house had been ransacked. She talked about how they had stolen her most precious possessions. And then she marched Lee around the back of her house and she showed him the burnt out shell of a, of a, of a big oak tree. She said, look at that, General Lee, look at that. My family for generations has sat under that tree. And those men, when they were here, those vile men, they set it on fire and they half burned it down. And now every morning I, I walk out the back door of my house and I, I look at that tree and I'm reminded of how horrible those men were and the terrible things that they've done. As the story goes, uh, General Lee just paused for a moment. And then he looked at her and he said, ma'am, today it's time to cut that tree down. Today, it's time to move on. See, a lot of us have some bitterness. A lot of us have this poison in our lives. Some have a lot, some have a little bit because we're mad and angry, because we've been hurt and we have been hurt. Some of you have had things done to you that are unspeakable, but we've held on to it to our own detriment. Listen, God has forgiven you it's time you forgive them. Not for them, but for you. And for the glory of God. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed, let me pray. Father, uh, help us today to just be so mindful. We, we took the Lord's Supper at the beginning. I, I hope that just sort of set our minds, focused our minds on this wonderful truth that Jesus has died for us. Let that be so front and center in all of our thoughts. And when we feel hurt and anger, let us remember that Jesus has forgiven us of so much. And let us respond, not because people deserve it, not even because they've asked for it, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And then let us live with the peace and the joy that comes from having no bitterness, holding nothing against anyone. Father, thank you that that's possible in our lives because of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing, as we respond to the Lord.